welcome back to another episode of Paul and Ben, the Injury Men. It's me, Paul Head. We have an esteemed guest with us today from all the way from America. So she's a physical therapist uh, from Vermont and her name is Mariana Wingard. So thank you so much for joining us this evening, Mariana. Thank you, Paula. Thank you for having me here. I'm really excited about today's episode. We connected online because I saw your story and I just thought it matched the question that we had so well. So we'll sort of just go straight in there. So we got a question from Alice Bryce. So again, thank you so much for the question. Keep them coming. And she says she's been told by her doctor that she should never run again due to the arthritis in her knees. And what can she do instead? Mariana, I'll just let you sort of go with your story. So I just think your your general story and what's happened really sort of answers that as well as could be really. Yeah, great. Um, it's a great question. And um, so I am a physiotherapist and I um, have end-stage arthritis, as they like to call it. Um, basically, I'm bone on bone in my left knee. And I was, I'm currently 33 years old and I was diagnosed with end-stage arthritis approximately, oh gosh, I believe I was 26 years old. So feels like forever ago or as well as yesterday because I just vividly <laughs> remember this diagnosis um, given to me at such a young age. But let me back up a little bit. Um, I was a collegiate athlete and I uh, suffered a pretty dramatic uh, knee injury. I uh, was playing soccer and I got illegally, illegally slide tackled and my foot went one way and my body and knee went the other way. And I had what's called the triad, where I tore my ACL, MCL, and my meniscus. I had reconstructive knee surgery, and I um, did not have the best rehab, um, mostly because I was in a very rural area and there was not that great of healthcare, but also because I was driven to return back to the soccer field as fast as possible. So I thought the best rehab would be to do run college track um, as my rehab to returning to soccer. So I'm going to forward now um, to what led me to the doctor's appointment. Um, I was playing soccer approximately. So in college, I was about, when I had my injury, I was 20. Um, so eight years, seven, eight years later or so. I was playing soccer and I had another injury and as the PT I am, the physio I am, I decided I'm going to take care of it myself and I did some rehab and I assumed I had a bone bruise because that was the only thing that made sense to me and um, I gave myself about 12 weeks to heal and then I started running again. Um, and when I started running again, I uh, started getting some numbness and tingling down my leg. And I said, hmm, this is a bit of a red flag. Let me go see an ortho. Uh, so I tried to find the best orthopedic around. And this ortho had experience with uh, Olympic athletes. So I figured he would understand the need to compete even later on in your 20s and uh, potentially 30s and 40s, like I would like to do, or 50s or you know 90s. I wouldn't mind having the fastest 100 meter sprint at the age of 100. Um, we'll see where life brings me. But anyhow, 
So I went to him and he told me that we're going to take x-rays and do the traditional approach. And I said, okay, sounds great. He did my x-rays and he comes in and he looks at the x-rays and looks at me and says, your knee looks like a 90 year old. And I said, oh, thank you. I'm not quite sure if this is a compliment or what. Um, and then he shows me the x-ray and he says that you're bone on bone. And if you want to be working, walking in your 30s or your 40s, uh, you may want to stop running now. And I said, oh, oh, so no running? I, I have a 5K race tomorrow and I won this one last year. Can I, can I run a 5K? No. Uh, my husband's training for his first marathon next month. Can I run a marathon? I mean, last year I ran uh, 13 marathons and ultras. I, what will one more marathon do? He said, no, no more running, no more soccer. Think of something that's non-impactful like biking or swimming um, and do that instead. So I, I just, I was speechless. I didn't know what to say um, and I left. I sat down in my car and with that said, running and soccer has been my life, my passion. It's really what people knew me for, was the local runner who won all the races and did ultras and all she did was run. Um, so getting that news was really hard for me. And I sat down in my car after that appointment and I lost it. Um, I just started crying um, and I, I couldn't stop. I was supposed to return back to work because I did this during my lunch break and I, I couldn't stop crying. So I called my boss and she thought something horrific happened uh, because I could barely get a breath out. And to me, it was horrific, but to some, it may not be as horrific um, as other things. But anyhow, so I ended up going home and I kept thinking, if there's no running, what's the point? There must be an alternative solution because I cannot imagine life without running. So I, uh, I called my husband and we talked a little about it. And my husband jokingly said, well, when you don't run, you turn a little bit into a grumpy pants. This may impact our marriage with your grumpiness and I said, I will figure it out. I will figure it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. Anyhow, I talked to a bunch of my physio friends and I decided that, well, maybe I won't run 13 ultra marathons uh, in a year, but I'm going to keep trying to run. And I actually ended up picking up my first road bike that next year. Um, and I started doing triathlons and I fell in love with it. Um, and I also started actually doing my strengthening exercises because we all know that endurance runners are not the best at hitting the gym and working on some squats and lunges and other things with weights. So I started doing those more regularly. And I slowly, uh, I got my inflammation under control, got my uh, symptoms under control, and I slowly increased back to my running. And now, gosh, 
I'm 33, so six, whatever years later, I am still running fairly competitively. Um, I run about three to five marathons a year now. I do about one Ironman a year, a full Ironman and a few halves. And I was in a, during COVID, I felt a little lost because all my races got canceled from the Boston Marathon to everything else that I've been training for. So for about eight weeks, I did a, a hundred mile bike ride every weekend and a 20 mile run on the weekends because I was, that's what I enjoy doing. And um, as long as I keep my strengthening exercises going, I've been able to manage all of the symptoms in my knee. Um, do I still get stiffness when I wake up in the morning? Of course I do. Do I still have days where it flares up? Of course I do. Does it hurt after I do an Ironman or a marathon? Yes. Do I sometimes sleep with an ice pack on my knee to help with the inflammation? Yes, but I'm not letting it stop me. I'm just making sure that I strengthen my muscles around the joint as well as my hips and keep an eye and listen to my body. I, for example, this morning, I actually had, uh, I've been having tight Achilles for four days because I did a lot of mountain running over the weekend or hill running over the weekend. Um, and I took the day off, which if someone asked me that 10 years ago, I would have been like, take the day off. What is that? I don't take a day off. So learning to listen to my body is something that I needed to do. And it's definitely been the key to my success. I don't always make the best decisions uh, like most endurance athletes. And I am aware of that, but I am learning and I'm starting to listen. That's my <laughs> oh, story, really. <laughs> oh, that's great, mate. I mean... Have you, have you come across it as well, like in clinical practice, where people have been told your knees look, like you said, like the age of a 90-year-old, this scan, and there's so much arthritis there that basically you're just going to crumble crumble into the dust and just to avoid running? Because what's, what's your advice to them? What do, you tend to, do you tend to give them your story or just say that like, running is like healthy for sort of the joints and... Yeah, uh, so I give, them, I give them a little of my story, a shorter version, and then I also tell them the, what the research says, and I also tell them about other patients, um, those that have stopped running and whose arthritis actually got worse after they stopped running, and those who um, kept running and were able to manage it without a problem, and then I back everything up with evidence because um, in the end, I know that I'm just an as they call an N of one, I'm just one person and that's not always generalizable to everyone. So I do like to say that there are other people like me out there um, and that we can work together to reach whatever goal that patient has. And you know, some patient's goal may be to dance all night at their daughter's or granddaughter's wedding. Um, some patient's goal is to uh, hike to Mount Everest base camp, you know, whatever that may be, um, we'll think of a way to do it because I strongly believe never say never and together we can make whatever it is happen. It may be a little modified, but we can make it happen. In your practice as well, do you educate the doctors to say <laughs> what you're saying is largely unhelpful and can bring, bring about such, yeah, such bad behaviours and long-term issues do you, do you tend to do that as well yeah so uh you have to be a bit careful about that uh because you uh also need them to refer patients to your clinic 
per se. Uh, so I will say there's some amazing doctors out there who fully support physios and are aware of the latest research. Um, and there's some that need a little more information. Um, they don't mean well. Uh, most doctors went into medicine because they want to help people. And they don't sometimes realize the power of language. And really, that's what it is. Um, words are very powerful. Um, and they can hurt more sometimes than other physical things that occur. So I do, I do give uh, in-services. I have, the way I've done it in outpatient is I'll have, I'll start with new MDs. I'll start them having them come into my clinic and give an in-service on something that they really want to educate us about. And then I say, hey, would you mind if I now did an in-service at your clinic on this piece? Uh, and I usually go about it like, oh, what can physios do for arthritis? And then I add in the power of birds and the impact that has. Would you like to go through, Mariana, some of the research on running and arthritis? Because we, we've spoke before in sort of previous podcasts about how there's a few, there's quite a lot of data now showing the sort of benefits, but um, well, it might be good to sort of hear your take on sort of what the research is saying. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like the research in this area has exploded over yeah. the last five, ten years. Um, and I will admit that I have, uh, I've gone into a different type of field of research and clinical practice. So I am not up to date to what came out in the last year. Um, but I do know that there is now research out there that competitive running um, is not harmful. It does not cause arthritis, nor does it make your arthritis worse. Um, it is very healthy to continue running on both non-arthritic as well as arthritic joints. Um, and really, they keep showing more and more research behind that piece. And being inactive has so many more consequences than running would ever have. I mean, not just on your joints, but just in other general health preventing strokes, heart attacks, um, making sure that you maintain a healthy and active lifestyle. And that's not even going over the health benefits that are psychological in nature and quality of life. So in the end, it's kind of like a, what I call a no-brainer. It's so important to stay active and just the benefits outweigh the negative. Um, and there's also research out there about, you know, crepitus or the grinding and crinkles in your knee that you may hear when you straighten or you bend your knee, um, which I have plenty of, and it's not harmful to a joint. Most of the time, it bothers my husband more than it bothers me because it's just part of my joint and it, it's not hurting the joint itself. Um, it's just part of who I am. Absolutely. Yeah, I've because I, I've seen a study, I can't remember the name, but where they followed people for about 10 or 15 years and they had a group of runners and non-runners mm -hmm. and actually at the end of it the people that ran had less signs of arthritis than the yeah. people that didn't yeah and i, and I yeah and i thought yeah. that's such a good story to absolutely go the opposite because we, we get it all the time where people just assume that you do stuff and 
again, we spoke about it before where everyone assumes you're like a bit of furniture where, oh, you've got an X amount of life. So, okay, if I do this many steps and everything sort of wear and tear as well is sort of that and wear and tear and slip discs are probably the worst statements ever created. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, along the same lines, when I really despise when orthos or doctors or anyone for that matter says, oh, it's your age. That's what's really causing this wear and tear. And that's why your left knee hurts. And my number one comeback to that is, so your right knee is younger than your left knee? Like if it was your age, it would be symmetrical in all areas, but it's not your age and it's not symmetrical. So stop saying it's due to age and wear and tear because it's obviously not. And if you look at longevity wise, who's living the longest? Is it the people that are not running or is it the people that are staying active and meeting the guidelines of physical activity that's recommended by so many organizations? Uh, and that because did they do scans on both have you ever had scans on the other knee i i actually have not they're okay. like you're too young to even go there like they i i will not get into many ageist remarks that are given by many healthcare providers and humans in general but i i'm a huge i think age is just a number are there age-related changes that occur sure can you slow them down to a minimal amount? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's records being broken by 70 and 80 year olds on a daily basis. Um, and it's not that they're getting faster per se, they're just staying active more um, throughout their lifespan. And it's just, it just proves that wear and tear is not a thing and activity can really help people live a full life for the length of time it's meant to be yeah no that's great i mean i think what i tend to tell people now is going well you've got arthritis where it just shows you've lived in gravity um just and i think over in the uk there are some some radiographers that are better than others but they some of them will show the epidemiology so what is normal for that age as well because again it's just you get a scan and it's everything every anomaly is fixated yeah. on yeah but actually is that really an anomaly if a lot of the population has it yeah it's, it's uh, that's a very valid point i mean even if you look at like rotator cuff or shoulder injuries it says that over 90 percent of individuals in their 90s have rotator cuff or injuries to their shoulders yet a lot of them don't have any symptoms. Um, uh, I mean, a good amount do, but there's a lot in that literature as well as in the literature of back scans and how the image doesn't always align with the symptoms they're feeling. So why are we going by the image and scaring the patient when truly we should be going by how the patient feels and doing things that are beneficial for their symptoms? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's sort of, I'd imagine most joints in the body would have that just a high rate of quotation marks, abnormalities when actually, yeah, they've never had signs or symptoms before. And I think it's like full rotator cuff ruptures where they've never felt anything. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That's the study. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, but no, but, and, and then that's, that's true in arthritis as well, where it's just so, so prevalent. 
And I think it's just quite an easy in to go, okay, you've got arthritis, you've got knee pain, okay, you got that. So treatment is don't do anything now, you just sort of rest or easy. Whereas for us, it's like the complete opposite. Well, actually, you probably want that leg stronger and doing more so it doesn't have to, so that joint doesn't have to take the strain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, fully. I actually, um, so I stopped doing plyometrics for a while where I did like, like jumping exercises with landing and really working on power and force production. And in, and in the last year, I started doing it again. And it's been amazing. My times for my races have increased. My cycling power is much higher than it used to be. And I don't have any more knee pain um, than I did before. Um, but if you asked my ortho if I should have done that, he would have said, jumping, you crazy box jumps? No. Um, but I think that it's really valuable that strength piece is just the key. Yeah, no, that I could not agree anymore. Yeah, it's sort of just comprehensive conditioning, just making everything sort of strong, as powerful, and because it's your muscles and it's your muscles that move you. It's not your joints, so you can yeah. sort of offset that a little bit. Yeah. But um, but I would say so when you're seeing patient, or when you was before you saw the PhD, yeah, would you? say they come in and they was running and they had a bit of knee pain, would you try to keep them running as much as possible, but maybe just reduce it a little bit or sort of find a bit of a balance within the strengthening? Yeah. Um, I say never tell a run runner not to run. Um, most runners, uh, and I can say this because I am a runner, have a little bit of an addiction problem to their running in a way. And they're not going to listen to you if you say no, first of all. Second of all, there's no need to say no running. Um, usually what I do is I'll do an analysis of their running on a treadmill with a mirror in front of them. And I look at their motor control, the way they're controlling their movement for space, the way they're landing. Um, and I may give them some cues um, regarding their step rate or the way they're running. And sometimes small tweaks can adjust the pain. Um, if that is the situation, I will have them practice with a mirror running um, and I can slowly increase the amount of time they run pain-free and then take away the mirror and progress to outdoors. Um, I also, and obviously this is very dependent on the person, yeah. I also will increase the amount of strengthening um, and say, hey, you've been strengthening once a month and running uh, seven days a week, how about we start strengthening a little more and concentrating on the areas that are really in impacting your running. And I also show in literature how strengthening actually can make you a faster runner um, because most runners are all about improving that 5K time, that 10K time. Uh, so I go about it that way. Um, and it really, in the end, it's what, what is their goal? Because step rate's really emerging part of the evidence now, isn't it? Where sort of trying to increase the step rate. How so? If people are trying to increase their step rate with running, so the the overall aim, from what I understand, is sort of just to generally reduce the load, like totally, because sort of the amount of steps that you're doing. Is that correct? Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah, and um, it's been it's been regarding load um, as well as, I mean. 
the turnover rate is kind of what we call it, uh, decreases the load as well as um, the angle you're landing at um, can impact it as well. And there's a lot of uh, biomechanic research uh, that I am uh, admittedly not up to date on um, because I don't treat that population at the moment. Um, but I have found that by making small changes, the patient at times has significantly improved, uh, clinically improved their symptoms. Um, and a rate is something that can be trained via uh, pedometers. Um, so I, um, where I live, kind of like uh, over there, we have winters that are long. Uh, you know, it starts snowing in October, and uh, we had snowfall two weeks ago when I went running. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so I started running a little more on treadmills because I have had, um, they don't, where I live, they're very environmental, so they don't use salt a lot to salt the roads, so there's always a lot of ice. They use sand. Um, but I've had many falls on ice, and those don't help any of my joints or pain. Uh, so I run on a treadmill on in the winter. But anyhow, I use an app called Zwift, um, where I am racing against people on a virtual platform, and it connects to a pod that I wear in my shoe, and it tells me how fast, it tells the thing how fast my feet are turning over, my step rate, um, and you can use that as a biofeedback or a feedback to the individual that's patient to tell them, oh, this is your rate, try to aim for this, or um, extend your step length um, and really slow down your rate because sometimes people don't take full strides. Um, so it's not always increasing the rate depending on the situation. But using something like that can be really beneficial to training your step rate. Um, some people use music that has higher cadence. You can find music for specific uh, rates. Um, or you can use an old-fashioned, uh, oh gosh, what is it called? A metronome. Metronome, thank you. Yeah. I was like, for music, I use it. Um, yeah. Yes, a metronome as well. So there's various ways to implement it. Oh, Matt, I, I think I'd quite like to go slightly off topic, Mariana. So with all your running and training experience, for people who might be interested in triathlons and sort of going into it, how how has that been for you? Is that quite a smooth transition, and or sort of what what pointers or tips have you got for say if we zoomed back in time to you now with all the experience, what you sort of learned from that journey? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's such a funny question to me. Um, first of all, before I did triathlons, and in general, even now, uh, I don't like to do anything that I'm not the best at. Um, so it was really hard for me to switch from running where I was pretty good at it to something that I didn't have much experience. Um, I knew I was a pretty strong cyclist because I had those college soccer legs that have some good watts output, but I was petrified of open water swimming. Um, I attempt to go swimming and I never put my head underwater because the sea monster that's below me, uh, may get me. So a... It was quite interesting. Uh, so I took a swim class with an adult swim class with my husband who also was uh, afraid of open water. 
and it was amazing. It was only him and I. We had, even though it was a group lesson, we were the only ones that signed up. Um, and really, in the end, my number one advice is uh, don't let your fears stop you. Don't let the unknown um, or new things stop you in any way. Um, just go and try and do it. Um, I mean, there's a whole thing about trying tries and there's such a truth to it. Um, my first triathlon after those swim lessons, I did the breaststroke for 10 and then I did five of freestyle and I was dead last out of the water. Um, and then I ended up coming in top five females because my biking and running was just much stronger. Um, and I slowly worked my way up and I do fairly well now in triathlons. Um, but my number one advice is just go and try and do it. Um, I mean, for anything that matter. I was just so proud of my mom last weekend. It was her 59th birthday. I know it's not 60 because she would let me know it was a big 6-0. <laughs> Um, but I took her on the lake and I had her try stand-up paddleboarding uh, for the first time. And I'm not sure if stand-up paddleboarding is something that, Paul, you know what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I've done that. Uh, I yeah, we, I mean, I've done it in Australia. I've not done it here. <laughs> here yeah, it's a bit of a, a new, like, hype here. It just seems like everyone's doing it now. But anyhow, we took her uh, away from the big speed boats and she started in sitting and then she got to kneeling and then she got to standing. And I was just so proud of her for trying something like that. That was totally new to her. Um, and it goes for real, and she loved it. She's like, oh, I think I'm gonna get a stand up paddleboard and try doing this myself. It's so great for my balance. It's working my whole body. Um, and that really sports that work those whole bodies is just great. And I wish, I wish I wasn't so running dominant early on in my life because I think it would make me a stronger person in general. Um, but yeah, all about trying it. Don't worry about the equipment for triathlons. Those, you know, those can really be overwhelming at first. Um, I didn't have the best bike. Now I have a very beautiful racing bike that's more expensive than my car. Um, but to me that, I, I hate driving. So I bike everywhere, even though I work approximately uh, almost a hundred kilometers from where I live, I'll bike there rather than drive to work. Um, but anyhow, so, you know, not worrying about the equipment is really another big piece. Um, and if you are on social media, there are many great Facebook groups for new uh, triathletes. Um, if you are a woman, um, there's a great woman in tri group that um, has provided me a lot of uh, information. I gained a lot from that. Um, I also joined a master swim group, which to me was really funny because I, um, still even last year was one of the last few out of the waters even though i felt more comfortable but the improvements from swimming with better swimmers has really been great and i'm starting i am now comfortable with keeping my head underwater at all times and breathing both sides um and that's really helped but there, don't be afraid to reach out to others and swimmers most of us runners are not 
the best swimmers. Um, for a lot of triathletes, swimming is their weakness. Um, so that's why I'm just speaking of swimming a little more, um, but don't be afraid to reach out to others and ask for help. Oh, that's great, Maria. And would you like to speak about your studies at the moment? So you're doing a PhD. Yeah. Uh, you can sort of talk about that for a little bit or get a bit of recruitment or, yeah, it's just good to hear. Because it's interesting, probably we'll sort of link to communication a little bit as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, my interest in research is um, keeping particularly older individuals active and addressing the reasons why they're not active. Uh, so I kind of started with um, activity barriers and how to overcome those. And uh, I have found a lot of literature about uh, one of the primary motivators for older individuals to stay active is input from their health healthcare provider. May not be their doctor, may not be their physio. And then I did a lot of literature and it found out that even physios who are supposed to be the movement experts, the promoters of exercise and physical activity are not really prescribing physical activity for health benefits. Sure, they'll give a therapeutic exercise for back pain or knee pain or whatever it is, but they're not fully uh, prescribing physical activity um, as much as they should. So I looked a little more into it and I found out that part of it is that they don't have the tools. Um, they know to ask if you're active or not active. They know to recommend, oh, you should do 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity a week. Um, but they don't know how to address the barriers and those barriers are really multifactorial. Um, there's so many reasons why people are not active. And some of those, um, people always say time is the number one thing, but it's never really time, it's priority. Um, that's a big piece. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that I always forget, but it's basically Helen Keller, Mother Teresa, Michelangelo, and all these famous people that have accomplished so much, all had 24 hours in a day. What's your excuse? Um, why aren't we all Helen Keller or uh, Michelangelo? Like, what's keeping us from that? And part of that is really prioritizing what's most important for us. Um, and do I expect everyone that physical activity is the most important? No, of course not. Um, not everyone is crazy like me, and that's totally normal and probably better that way. Um, but it's, I am trying to provide tools for healthcare providers to be able to assess these barriers and know what to do with them. So my end goal is to create a physical activity toolkit, um, which will have an assessment to look at if people are meeting the recommendations. Um, and then figuring out, are people ready to initiate a new behavior? Um, and then what's keeping them from initiating that new behavior and how can we address those barriers that are keeping people? So that's really what my research has evolved uh, to be. And um, I not only love physical activity, but at some point I would like to create like a nutrition toolkit and a sleep hygiene toolkit to really get that primary prevention, as we call it, the things, the pillars that keep people healthy um, into healthcare. Because I think that the main key of keeping us healthy is to do preventative needs. Oh, that's great. I mean, Mariana, what are your sleep and nutrition tips? 
before we get to it. Yeah, I mean, I could talk about that for hours. Um, <laughs> but for sleep hygiene is such a big thing of, you know, making sure that you are using your bed only for sleeping um, purposes or um, some... Uh, uh, for with your uh, significant other. Yeah. Um, those are really the only two purposes that a bed should serve. Uh, you know, and then there's the turn off your television and no screen time before bedtime. Um, I, uh, people who are like me, whose minds are always racing, I recommend apps um, such as Calm or even Spotify and other apps that uh, tell bedtime stories that are meant to ease the mind and help shut it off and help with that piece um, is another huge component. Um, and then avoiding caffeine after a certain time. Um, those are probably the top things for sleep hygiene that I tend to recommend um, to people. And nutrition, uh, my number one thing with nutrition is be a perimeter shopper. And I'm not sure how grocery stores are set up in England, but in America, all things you need are in the perimeter of the grocery store. You have your dairy products, you have your uh, veggies and fruits, you have your meat, and that's all you need. Um, everything else that's in the aisles, you can make yourself, um, or if you do not have time because of other things, uh, I have stopped making, for example, I used to make my own spaghetti sauce. Um, I used to make my own uh, breads. Um, I will go down those aisles or to the bakery and I will only buy items that have five ingredients or less and I need to know what all those ingredients are um, and that they're not from processed pre-made items. Um, so I go about it in a simplified version. Um, I don't follow any bad uh, diet trends um, I think that everything is good in moderation, um, and I believe in treating yourself to at least one treat a week. Um, I had a friend in PT school who every Friday she had a cookie, and that was her weekly treat, and she always looked forward to her cookie. Um, and I, I love my afternoon espressos, and sometimes I have a little tea treat or coffee treat with my espressos in the afternoon. Um, but at the same time, I make sure my calorie I take in is equal to the calories I burn. And that's one reason I like to work out a lot is so I don't have to worry about as much the calories yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great advice, Mary. Unfortunately, eating in moderation like that, that won't sell you a book. So that's why we get all these fad, crazy yeah. diets. Yeah. Yeah, calories in and calories out is really the best way to go about it. Yeah. yeah. It's just not the easiest to keep track. Yeah. Oh, no, that is absolutely amazing, Mario. Yeah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> and is there, um, is there a way that people, like, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they've got questions or sort of like to speak to you a bit more? Yeah. Um, I mean, I am happy to share my email or people can... Uh, reach me on Twitter, um, whatever is easiest for them. Um, my, I have to look it up. I think my Twitter handle is elevating uh, EBP, which EBP stands for evidence-based practice. 
Um, so it's at Elevating EVP. And my email is my first name, um, which is Mariana, M-A-R-I-A-N-A, -A -A dot uh, Wingood, which is my last name, which is W-I-N-G-O-O-D, at Outlook.com. So O-U-T-L-O-O-K dot com. And Mariana, yeah, I jumped the gun a little bit, but if we're if we're answering the question, so Alice has been told she should never run again. What would your quick, uh, what would your quick answer to that be? Never listen to anyone that says never. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my quick answer to that is uh, get a second opinion. Find an ortho uh, who. Uh, by ortho, I mean a physio who um, does orthopedics um, and has experience with athletes um, and find an exercise program that works for you. Um, that would be my quick and dirty. And don't skip those exercises that the physio gives you. Yes, sir. my quick answer would be absolutely yes. Keep running. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, but no, Marriott, that is absolutely great. Is there, is there anything else you sort of like to add? Um, no, I think that uh, this has been great. Uh, <laughs> and I'm really happy that uh, this question came up because it comes up quite frequently. And um, I think for any health condition, if there's an answer you ever get that you don't think is correct, there's nothing wrong with getting a second opinion. Um, I think that's really important for everything, no matter what it is. Oh, that's great, Mariana. I just want to say thank you so much for all your time this evening. That's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, good luck, hopefully sort of finishing your PhD soon with all sort of COVID going on. And so, sort of, yeah, look forward to sort of all, all your papers that you're going to be publishing and all your ultra marathons you're going to be running as well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much and i hope i wish you the best of luck with your phd as well and um hopefully we'll both get our data collected at some point and finished and you know there's always some publications that i'm working on and hopefully those will be written up this is a great time to write a lot of stuff um and published and someday we will race and maybe i'll i'll meet you uh back uh at your hometown at some point Oh, more than, yeah, it'd be great. I mean, I wouldn't like to go out for a run with you. I think it'd be a bit scary. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring my husband along. He will uh, slow down to whatever. He's very good at reading people and oh, yelling at yeah, me. Yeah, that, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds like a good pace. <laughs> uh, uh, but no, Maria, I'd, yeah, again, just thank you so much for your time. And thank you, Alice, for the question. So just a reminder that if people have questions, they can go to our website. So it's bfrphysio.com slash podcast, or you can email us directly. It's injurymen at gmail.com, or we are on social media now because we're very fancy. So we're at injury underscore men for both Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, so just take care, keep safe, and we'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>